general had never been graced by the Khan's presence, he would no more disappoint his king than if the man were his best friend. He only wished the great leader had not sent an emissary to witness the battle. And such an ugly man at that, with his sallow skin and great hooked nose. Plus, he had the devil's eyes. Kenbish did give him credit for his beard. While he himself could only grow a drooping mustache and a wispy few strands from his chin, the lower half of the observer's face was hidden behind thick, dark curls. General Kenbish, unlike in any other siege, had not constructed dozens of scaling ladders and towers, or built trebuchets and catapults. He'd brought only enough slaves to tend to his soldiers' needs and build but two wood-framed towers placed in the field just beyond the reach of the town's archers. Atop the towers were large copper cones opened to the sky. The inside of each was layered with a fine coat of silver that was polished until it shone as dazzlingly as the sun itself. Under each, a barrel like that of a small cannon protruded from the wooden box supporting the eight-foot cone. The whole upper assembly, held fifteen feet off the ground by a timberwork truss, could be pivoted and elevated on a sturdy gimbal. Four of Kenbish's best men stood on top of each structure. Had the Khan's ambassador any questions about the strange towers, he held them to himself. For a week, the Red Gur had stood outside the town's tall and tightly sealed gates. As was Mongol tradition, a white tent was erected first, and the town's leaders given the opportunity to discuss their surrender without fear of death. When the red woolen tent, the Gur, replaced the white tent, that indicated an attack was imminent. When the red tent was dismantled and a black tent took its place, that indicated all within the walls would die. In the days since the red gur began swaying and billowing as it abutted the road leading to the gate, rains had fallen, or the sky had been heavy with clouds. Today promised the first clear weather, and as soon as Kenbish was certain the sun would burn through the last of the haze, he ordered slaves out across the fallow fields to tear down the red tent and set up its more ominous counterpart. Archers fired at the slaves as soon as they were within range. Flights of arrows, so thick they seemed to swarm, peppered the ground around the men, and met flesh as well. Four slaves dropped where they were hit. Two more struggled on with thin wooden shafts protruding from their bodies. The others ran unimpeded, protected by the bulk of the bundled black tent. Replacements were sent out immediately. They zigged and zagged, trying to throw off the archer's aim. Most were successful, but a few went down, driving arrows deeper into their bodies as they plowed into the earth. In all, it took twenty men to erect the tent, and of those, only five made it back to the Mongol lines. Seems a bit wasteful, the observer remarked in his thick accent. It is how it is done, Kenbish replied without turning his horse. White tent, red tent, black tent, death. 
The Khan never mentioned why this town is being attacked, do you know? Kenbish wanted to answer curtly that the Khan's reasons were his own, but he knew he had to treat the man with the respect due his status. He said, The local warlord didn't pay the Khan all of his taxes last year. The amount was trivial and might have been overlooked by the Khan's generosity. However, he was overheard by a royal post messenger bragging of his thievery. The Empire was famous for its postal service, with strings of rest houses along all major routes, so riders could either switch horses and keep going, or pass along messages to rested carriers who were already waiting. In this way, news from all reaches of the Khan's vast holdings could reach him in weeks, sometimes mere days. Such a transgression, Kenbish continued, cannot go...